0: Hi, welcome to Hints of Gladness. I'm your host, Rod Jans. In our current series of podcasts, we're exploring the topic of contemplation. What does it mean and how does it impact the way we show up in the world? I'm hoping that these conversations will be a contemplative experience. So I invite you to join us, engage and be open as we discuss my guests' spiritual journeys and their contemplative experiences. my guest today on Hints of Gladness is Donna Dinsmore. Donna was raised in a small farming community in northern Maine. She taught choral music in South Carolina public schools for 17 years and moved to Vancouver, BC in 1996 to read and write at Regent College for a couple of years. She spent nine years at Regent studying, working and teaching as a sessional lecturer. 26 years later, She is an ordained minister in the United Church of Canada and will play in any sandbox that will have her. Donna has consulted for and with communities in New Zealand, Newfoundland, Washington, British Columbia, and Alberta, mostly in the areas of worship, music, and group discernment. Preparing and facilitating retreats that are organic to the group is one of her greatest joys. Donna is passionate about delving into the spirituality of change for congregations and groups of any kind. She is a partner in the Soulstream community, currently a transitional minister at Brighouse United Church in Richmond, a voracious reader, and a lover of her canine companion, Tucker. Now, please help me welcome Donna Dinsmore. (laughs) everyone thanks for joining us today we're doing another contemplative oriented podcast our listeners can't see our video but as soon as you joined the zoom i could see that you're in a beautiful sort of tranquil spot which is a great place i think to probably talk about contemplation right
1: (laughs) absolutely (laughs)
0: yeah and with this the i was going to say the summer we've been having the october we've been having here on the on the West Coast of Canada. It looks like you're, you're enjoying summertime out there.
1: It is glorious on Galliano Island today. Absolutely glorious.
0: So it's it's sort of, every time I do this, I feel like I'm just kind of counterintuitive for a podcast or for <laughs> an interview of this kind, but not for a contemplative one. I want to invite you, Donna, and our listeners to just spend a moment in silence and just arrive and and be present. However they do that. I usually don't give a lot of instruction on how to be silent. So we'll just, we'll just be quiet for a moment.
2: Thank you. So Donna, how do we
0: find you today? What's it like to be Donna today in this tranquil? It looks tranquil on the outside. How are you doing on the inside?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Well, on the inside, I would say considering everything, I am deeply well. But it isn't a constant, uh, consistent deeply well. (laughs) <laughs> so my my spiritual and emotional energy tanks are are pretty depleted. I had I had three major deaths in the last ten months, and and so I'm I'm really quite depleted. But it's good I know that. Yeah. Well, when I don't have energy, I just don't have energy. It's it's got to be okay. Well, yeah, that's that deeply well. Crazy kind of way.
0: You're able to go with it. You're able to just, when you don't have the energies, just say, that's, that's where I'm at. And you're just can to you just go with it.
1: Yeah. I, I have, it's like I have to.
2: Uh-huh.
1: I'm, I'm that, I'm that depleted. Okay. I can't, I can't play the game.
2: Um, yeah.
1: So, yeah. It's, and you know, it doesn't take a lot of rest to bring me back to where I can keep going. Mm hmm yeah awareness is the key. it seems to me is is if i can if I can just be aware and then be kind to myself instead of mm-hmm. myself, which is, is which I, I what i normally do
0: that's a great I think that's a great way to just live life anyways, isn't it
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> whether
0: you know just to be aware of what's going on and be kind to yourself and things things come up at emotions and feelings and all that sort of stuff that are beyond your control, and you're not to blame and <laughs> This is my learning edge this week as well. It's just to just to accept who I am and what's going on.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Well, I, I really appreciate you joining me today. I know um someone has asked, someone sort of cheekily asked me, are you just gonna go through all of your Soul Stream friends and, <laughs> for these interviews? And I kind of thought, yeah, why not? They're <laughs> <laughs> they're they're a part of my contemplative community, very special contemplative community, but, but very profound and deep and experienced people in, in contemplation and living this type of lifestyle, whatever that is.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: But just as a beginning point, I've been asking everyone what their spiritual influence is when they were younger. So I want to ask you that question. And just to put a time frame on it, it's like from birth till early 20s, if you want to say anything about it. <laughs> That period what because that's that's where things seem to that that's just the time period that I want to focus on, so
1: yeah okay, sure well i I was raised in a very very seriously Christian family, and the Bible was the sole rule of not just faith and practice but life loved church and when i was a young a young teenager i started praying the psalms i have no idea why no one told me to do it the psalms were not important in our worship life but there was something in me that needed the reality of the psalms and so if you could go back and see my bible from when I was a teenager, the Psalms are just marked up because boy, we marked up our Bibles, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And I, I, I discovered that I, oh, I was memorizing. I didn't know it. It's just, it's just. I wasn't just reading the Psalms. I was praying them, and and that those poets were speaking the reality of their hearts, and that's what I needed. So when I look back on it, yes, church, yes, youth group. This was back in the 60s and 70s, Vietnam War. We were always praying for the boys in Vietnam. I was raised in northern Maine, right on the New Brunswick border. So church was a huge influence. But in terms of my contemplative bent, it was the Psalms that really grabbed me at first
0: hmm that's really cool and Donna a, a pattern's beginning to happen in these interviews you know with people that I'm talking to about contemplation a lot of times they will say they've had a similar background to you but there was something that was sort of that we would label contemplative they had some sort of an experience that maybe that maybe drew them initially and and that's what maybe you know they ex- had that experience mm-hmm. and now it continues and maybe deepens through throughout their life.
1: Yes, for for sure. It's like the real me needed something more
2: Mm -hmm. than
1: what I was experiencing. And there it was in the Psalms. Well,
0: in my last interview, he's a, she stopped me and she said, I want to define, I want to give my definition of contemplation. And I thought that was great because it, You know all of these different words that we have for prayer, meditation—they, they're all—they are. There's all sorts of definitions for them. So I didn't necessarily prepare you for this, but how would you define? How do you define contemplation?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I, I love to come at things slant. So
0: (laughs) I've noticed that
1: about you, and I I love that about you.
0: You never know what you're gonna get from you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Donna.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so rather than a, a definition, i I, I just want to say that 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 contemplation is paying attention to what God is doing. But then there's the question of how do we know what God's doing? <laughs> and I, I'm discovering I call it the five G's of Christian spirituality. It started with three, and then the more I ponder it, now it's up to five. Could <laughs> <laughs> keep going. Yeah. <laughs> so, pay attention to what God is doing. So, uh, to do that, I have to receive. A gift. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And it's a gift of grace. A gift of grace. And oh, grace can be defined and put in all kinds of boxes. But the Jesuits, who have helped me so much in my contemplative life, talk of the triad of, of grace that. That faith, love, and hope are God's gift of grace to us, and that we're actually able to engage with it. So it's not just that we receive this gift of grace that helps us pay attention to what God is doing, but that we actually engage with it. We're involved in it. So, so, faith is, is the eyes that see the good, noticing the good. And so that's how, how do we know what God's doing? Be on the lookout for the good. So eyes of faith, we notice the good, and then we, we are given the grace to love the good, to practice loving the good, which is very different than noticing it. You can notice it and not love it. But boy, loving the good really gets you involved. And then hope is actually trust in the goodness of God. It is stronger than fear and shame and death. And so as as i 'm trying to pay attention to what God is doing, i 'm not going to look at the moon and wait to see jesus face, and I 'm not going to flip through my Bible and look for a verse it 's going to tell me, but rather, I ask God for the grace. I need grace and then and then God gives me this gift of grace, and then I engage with it. I practice noticing the good. I practice loving the good. I practice trusting the good. And then in a daily examine, which is where you're intentionally in God's presence, and that changes everything when God's in the mix, of course, attend to God's presence and just think about, okay, what was really good today? What did you do? What did you do? And then, how did I engage with that? And then I find myself being grateful. And gratitude just totally changes you. So there's the five G's rooted in God, who gives us the gift of grace. And as we engage with that gift of faith, hope, and love, we notice goodness. Love goodness, we trust goodness, and we are grateful for it. And wow, that's deep stuff, and it's good.
2: Love it.
0: You, you said you had some stories to share. Do you have a story that maybe exemplifies that? Maybe you weren't thinking about sharing a story at this point, but can you think of anything that sort of exemplifies the five Gs? It's probably <laughs> happening all the time, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, I I think I would say. That it's that it's hard work. (laughs) So uh, you'd think it wouldn't be. Well, for me, it is. I think I've got some things working against me. I'm a musician and and I'm not I'm, I'm a I'm a music educator and a choral director. So, you know, you're always noticing the wrong notes. So you can fix them in a rehearsal. The wrong rhythms. So I so easily notice what's wrong instead of focusing on what's good. And I'm a transitional minister, so I work with churches who can't deal with their stuff by themselves. And so I come and I peek under the carpets to see what they've shoved under there, and I open the back closets to see what's been shoved in there and, and that kind of thing. And it's tough to focus on the good. That, that, so I just want to say it, it's hard work for me and it's not it's not pollyanna oh everything's goodness and light it's not that it's keeping focused on what god is doing and it's not pollyanna because so often as i am looking for goodness i find it in suffering
2: mm-hmm,
1: yeah i find it in people's pain Because God, that's where God shows up that we so often don't, we really don't believe he does. You know, like if we're suffering, we've done something wrong.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. How can we fix it? Help me fix it, God. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: makes me think it's kind of a, a rule I have or it's uh, what I encourage people to do and, and try to remember to do it myself is just to get in the way of grace. And um, that that can that can take many forms, you know, but I just feel like that's our that's maybe our role in relationship with God is just to do what we can to occasionally and intentionally get in the way of grace, whatever works for us, you know.
1: So. Ah, Rod, I love that and it's the opposite of what so many i just heard recently someone in my church say i just want to get out of the way (laughs) and and my god do what god's going to do and (laughs) no actually what what you just said get in the way of grace it's beautiful odd,
0: and it's not pollyannish either because it it's those those types of prayers can be dangerous, you know, like to, to mm-hmm. when you do get the way of grace, it's not always it's not always bird song and wildflowers. You know, <laughs> it can be quite challenging.
1: Exactly. Because following <laughs> it's one thing to follow the Jesus way, but to follow the Jesus way, the Jesus way with Jesus the way, hey, we're headed. We're headed for suffering.
2: So you, yeah. you you
0: mentioned when you were younger that, you know, you somehow were drawn to the Psalms. That's almost kind of an example of what we're talking about here.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, was, was there anything else in your life that drew you to contemplation or the way that you're living right
1: now? Yeah. Mostly an awareness of what was lacking. I, I have to say.
0: I can relate to that. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah. There's, there's got to be more than this. Mm-hmm. This, this isn't enough. This is, and, and I, I would like to let me segue as we were talking about grace with, with the story of hey, I, had the privilege of, of being with Eugene Peterson at Regent College.
0: I was going to ask you when you brought up the songs, and I knew you were at Regent College, so I wondered if he had a, an impact on you, or you, you connected with him.
2: Yeah.
1: Yes. So I didn't know who he was when I came to Regent. My my religious tribe is so conservative that Eugene would have been considered too left. You know, if you can imagine such a thing. So so I wanted you know when I think about contemplative authors Eugene was first of all a contemplative person in my life. He incarnated uh a life that is not rushed could say that Eugene refused to be too busy, but it wasn't that he refused to be too busy. He just, it's like he couldn't be, or he wouldn't be too busy. And he gave a lot of space to people, and he gave a lot of space to me, more than, than I was comfortable with ever. I was always uncomfortable when I sat down and talked with him. So here's an example of why. So I I decided I'm going to go, I'm going to sign up and have office hours with him. But I'd heard this rumor that he wouldn't talk. And it's like, I don't want to go in there and hear myself talk. I want to hear him talk. So I have to figure out, you know, I'm not going to talk too much. Okay, I'm not going to. So in I go and i was with i was with my dear friend lindy lewis whose husband was a faculty member of regent so she knew him on a different level and so we go in and uh, he's sitting in his rocking chair and he welcomed us and then he never he did not say a word it was just as i feared so <laughs> out of my mouth came is grace really stronger than sin i i don't know where that came from that was not what i intended yeah. and uh, he said uh, there's a long silence always a long silence and he said yes <laughs> and that's i said it. that's <laughs> it I said, but, I said but eugene really grace is really stronger than sin yes <sighs> but but eugene how, how can that be grace is really 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 stronger than sin yes And so uh, I had to say more. And so I said, Well, then how come? And he knew my background. How come we sang about grace, but I never, I never heard it preached about really that it made any sense to me? I heard more about sin than grace. And he smiled, said, Yeah. Yeah." Yeah. Okay. So. That question that his silence evoked from me is grace stronger than sin. That has served me so well because I'd say every single church I have worked in, whether it's United Church, whether it's Mennonite, whether it's Baptist, we people there struggle with the bigness of sin. And haven't I, I don't think we've really and I I I can I can forget the answer to that question. Grace is stronger than sin. So there I learned that from somebody who his silence evoked that truth out of me. That's what Soul Stream does for me. Mm-hmm. Soulstream is is my intentional contemplative community and every single time I go on retreat with the SoulStream group. They, they listen me into life. It's the only way I know to put it.
2: Well,
0: oh, that's neat. The...
1: the first retreat I ever went to, I was debating whether I was going to take a, a church with the Newhawk people in Balakula. So I would have been living on the reserve in a manse and way out in the back beyond. And uh, I didn't tell anybody. That's what I was trying to figure out. And people would come and intentionally sit with me at lunch, and they would ask me a question, and out would come stuff. I love that about contemplative people. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Can you say it
0: again? They listen me into...
1: They listen me into more life.
0: More life. Okay.
1: Yeah. So I... Yes. (laughs) More possibility. More space they 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 listen me out of corners and dead ends and confusion
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and Eugene did the same thing it's just he really he, he he was really challenging because i was just so it's so uncomfortable to have someone like him be so quiet so another story i want to tell you is 911 September 11th, 2001, was the first week of our our regent community life that fall. And I was the worship person. So we had this big celebratory chapel planned. And at 9 o'clock that morning, we're in the president's office asking, what are we going to do? So everything was scrapped when we walked into chapel that morning. It was, it was dead silent. The place was packed, and we lamented. It wasn't. It wasn't any longer. Lament wasn't any longer in a in a classroom. We did it. It was just amazing, and that was the easy part. But the weeks after, so Regent's and international community, a third Canadian, a third American, a non North American. So it comes time for Canadian Thanksgiving, and we're starting to struggle with how are we supposed to worship together. So I can remember this young Canadian guy, Steve, he was tired of all the bemoaning and lamenting, and he said, can we get on with it? And then there was Maxine Hancock was going to be speaking that day, and she said, no, we can't. We can't just let it go. And so we got through Thanksgiving, but then it just got harder and harder. So I called Eugene. By that time, he was in Montana. So I said, Eugene, I told him, told him the situation, and I said, "We don't, we don't know how to worship right now. We, we need something that's going to bring us together." Long silence on the other end. Of course. Long silence. And then he says, "Donna," he said, "Let ritual do its work." And like, what? We don't have rituals at Regent. We, we don't have any rituals. And, you know, we talked about it a bit, but that's really all he said. So I took that back to the chapel group, which, little did I know, was becoming a contemplative group. I, I stumbled into contemplative ways of being I always came from its slant. Little did I know that we were practicing contemplative life and living as we discerned what chapel should be every week at Regent. So I told them what Eugene said, and they just looked at me like I had two heads. And we sat in the silence, and we came up with, okay, okay, we need, we need silence. And Eugene calls Sila from the Old Testament. He he says that really should be translated shut up. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. So, okay, so we need a Sila, a- a- And if any place needs to shut up, it's, it's an educational institution, <laughs> a Christian educational institution like we need to shut up. So we decided we're going to have a peace candle. There's going to be a moment of silence. A different person from a different part of the world is going to light that candle and is going to pray for peace. That's it. Well, wow. It was powerful. Wow. We did it all that year. We did it all the next year.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Wow. Amazing.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Ritual did his work.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes.
0: Yeah. Right. Cool.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I have a story I'm gonna tell I need I gotta tell it to you really quick. Good. The week after 9-11, we were supposed to go down to Seattle for a James Taylor concert. And mm-hmm. we weren't we weren't sure if we were gonna be able to get across the border or not. And it turns out the day of the concert, they opened the borders and we were able to to get across. And you, you remember how everything was so eerie at the time and stuff like that. But still mm-hmm. you know, we we got across. And when he sang, I've seen fire and I've seen rain, that uh, oh, yeah. the, uh, it was just palpably silent. And you could tell like something had happened in the room and yeah. he, after a few seconds, he goes, well, that song sure took on new meaning." he did that, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, yeah. It was one of those, just one of those moments where <laughs> kind of something that a regular song that he sings every, every concert just took on new meaning and and depth to it
1: yeah yes oh. yeah. Mm.
0: yeah we've we've talked quite a bit about contemplative community and so we we've you know, you've mentioned Soul Stream, and have talked about that quite a bit. I, I'm wondering if there's more you want to say about contemplative community. You've also talked about how it, you've weaved it into your stories already, which is which is fantastic. I just wonder if there's anything else that you wanted to, to say about that.
1: Yeah. This notion of, of entering into what God is already doing, that all started at Regent 2 with the chapel group. Yeah because I, I I brought to them this question of of like I was getting tired of of us worshiping like everybody else worships. Well, why are we worshiping like everybody else? We are a unique place, and our worship should reflect who we are organically. So let's cut out the standard, you sing for 20 minutes standing up and somebody speaks, and let's pay attention to what God is doing in this community. So as soon as I asked that question, Kirsten Waldsmith said, well, how do we know it's God? And that's when we we started looking for the good, for joy, and for sorrow. And in it did change. It gave us a focus for how we should worship as a community. Now, the same thing has happened to me in my work as a transitional minister. So, I bring my practices with me to every situation. And what I discover in in these churches that have issues that they can't deal with, and I'm here to tell you, there is not one single church that doesn't have issues that they're struggling to deal with. It's just they're not aware of it right we're We're human beings, so little did I know that that as i was becoming more contemplative i was being contemplative with them and that part of my job is to is to walk with them but then they have to walk with me and they have to see how i'm doing this work so circle conversations with a talking stick and we are going to listen to each other so that we understand each other. Now that might sound (laughs) simple, might sound plain and like, hello, of course, but my churches struggle with doing, 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 doing. And they struggle with Telling, 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 talking, talking, talking. It's just like a an educational institution. Everybody talks, but who's gonna listen? And it shouldn't just be the students. And in a church, it shouldn't just be the parishioners. So so I gather, I gather people in circles when I when I first come to a church with a talking stick, and I say, if you have the talking stick, you get to talk. And if you don't have the talking stick, your job is to try to understand what they're saying. And I want you to tell me, what do you value about this community? What are your concerns about this community? Well, isn't that basically the examine? You know, what, what has been good this day? What, what has God done? What am I thankful for? And of course, as soon as you focus on the good, then you become aware oh, I'm really not grateful for that. I regret that I didn't X, Y, Z. And so what happens is people are being asked to pay attention to themselves, which for some reason (laughs) we struggle with that as Christians. You know, I grew up singing Jesus and others and you. What a wonderful way to spell joy. And then the last line of that song is put yourself last and spell joy. And so, especially, I think women have been, have been just, it's bred into them that you mm-hmm. are for your spouse, you're for your children, you're for your grandchildren. You're, you put yourself last. And, and that gets us in trouble. So, just tell us how you're feeling about this place, and then I have to create a, sa- a, sp- a space that is safe enough so that people know that they're not going to get nattered at. They're not going to get challenged, because I am there facilitating, and I will say, if someone tries to set them straight, actually, do you have any questions? Is there something you don't understand? And then once they start to feel comfortable with each other, it's amazing what comes out. And then we can, we're paying attention to what God is doing inside of us and amongst us. And the same with worship. Uh, now, this might not sound contemplative, but I, I think it is. Why do we, why of all things are we still trying to worship the way we did before covid if if covid can't can't instill in us a confidence that we we can respond not react we can respond to changes in our life and we can actually figure out how to do things better So in these churches, I try to start with a blank slate. So we go around the circle. What do you value most about worship? Well, they've never thought about it. We don't reflect enough about worship, which is a contemplative practice, reflecting on. So what do you value? What do you wonder about? Like, why do we do that? And then you do that three or four times. And it's like, oh... Oh, we, yeah, and then, and then the imaginative juices start. And then the next thing you know, for instance, I've added a joy and concerns time in our worship at the church where I am now. What, what brought you joy this past week, and what are you concerned about? And if you want to share it with us, we want to hear it. It's like a group examine for the past week. But I haven't told them that yet. Just slipping in, this attentive listening, respecting our lives, listening to our lives, like the recently deceased Frederick Beekner taught us to do, it's like it, it fits in. It fits into work, church work. It fits into life. It's beautiful.
0: Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. I've always wanted to sit down and ask you about Balakula. I'm not gonna do that now, but sometime when we get the chance, I'd love to tell you. I'd love to ask you about your experience up in the, in the, at that church.
1: I would love people. to do that. Maybe yeah. maybe another time because there is so I learned so
0: so much. Hey, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm just wondering if there's anything I haven't covered that you were expecting to cover today. I feel like I've gone through my question set with you. Yeah, oh, well,
1: it's good. Thank you for the space where I can come at things slanted. I love it. Thank you.
0: That's totally what I was expecting.
2: <laughs> Thank you for doing that.
0: We've been asking our guests to share with us some sort of contemplative exercise. I know that you have something prepared, so I'm just going to turn it over to you and ask you to lead us or guide us or give us something that we we'll use later or whatever, whatever approach you want to take. The floor
1: is yours. Thanks, Rod. This contemplative practice is especially beneficial for someone who is in the midst of a conflict or an uncertainty. And I think it's especially clarifying for a leader who actually has to do something about this conflict or uncertainty. So the practice begins by gathering yourself and allowing yourself to be present where you are sitting comfortably.
2: And to imagine
1: that you are facing the people who are part of this situation, and you're facing them in a room of your choosing. It's all your imagination. Who is there? Where they're sitting? Their body language? Their facial expressions? They are sitting in this room. room. You have called them there. And then you stand up in front of them, and you pour out your heart to them. You tell them why you are here with them, what you desired to bring, what you desired to do, who you desired to be amongst them, the the dreams and the passions you had for them, what you've been up to with them, just pour out your heart.
2: And then, stop talking Just be quiet and then what 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 happens as you
1: look around the room You notice their body language again, their facial expressions again. Has has anyone left the room? Is anyone saying anything? What happens in the silence? And then, imagine that Jesus appears at the door, now, if the door is closed, you have to imagine did did he knock? Did he open it up just a little bit and peek in? did he open it up and really walk in boldly? but Jesus appears at the door. What happens next
2: what does Jesus do
1: does he walk in the room or does he walk around? Does he go and stand in one particular place? What's his body language? What does he do? And then, how do you and others respond
2: to what Jesus does? And just let it unfold as it will. This
1: practice has helped me set boundaries. It's helped me leave a painful situation. And, you know, I always kind of thought that Jesus, when he walked in the door, anytime I've done this, like, he's going to come stand next to me, right? He's going to be on my side. That's never happened once. It's beautiful. Jesus doesn't come over and be on my side. In every case, he paid full attention to every person in the room. It's like he read the situation. And then he leaves the room. hmm, So then I have the choice of Am I gonna stay there? Am I gonna go with him? And then what does he, if I do go with him out the door, where where is he gonna take me? And it's just quite powerful and beautiful. So I hope, I hope you can remember the stages of that, those of you that are listening, because there may come a time when when you really need to have Jesus' strong guidance in helping you with the situation. And in my case, he's never opened his mouth once. He's always guided me in silence.
0: Beautiful. Thank you. I just, want to add a couple things. Is I'll, I'll transcribe that so people can go into the show notes and, and, and ask themselves and read those questions and journal wisdom if they want to. Yeah, yeah. And a couple of things that you mentioned, that's what I, like the first part, it, I have to go back and do it again. <laughs> I just went, That went really fast. But the, uh, the, the second part was the same thing. It, 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 when you said that, yeah, Jesus didn't say anything. <laughs> and, <laughs> And I imagined him going like that. I didn't I? Didn't purposefully imagine? I just let it flow. And he went to someone that I know is that I had had invited into the room. It was hurting. He went to that person first. Yeah. And, and didn't say anything. Then he never said anything. And, and, and funnily enough, too, I wondered if he come. What's going to happen? Is he going to come and stand up next to me, or what's going to? You know, we're going to give speeches together. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah. <laughs> Probably <Hopefully> not. <laughs> Probably not. No. No.
0: But I've, I've done exercises similar to that. And when you mentioned that, I thought, yeah, Jesus, I never really, Jesus never says anything when when I do the prayer of imagination with Jesus in the picture. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but.
1: That's right. That's right. 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 Yeah. So you know how sometimes you'll read, I'll, I'll just do this really quickly because I know we're at the end. We will read about how awful it is when God doesn't speak to us mm-hmm. and God is silent. Well, what I've experienced recently is God isn't speaking when I intentionally go into God's presence. But God, God's presence is richer and deeper than it's ever been. And I don't want to hear words. The silence is what I need.
0: silence is what,
2: yeah.
1: Yeah. So, there
0: you go. well thanks again i will let you go and get back to your your time there <laughs> this beautiful environment that you're in yeah again thank you so much for taking time. T- i'm glad we finally bound the
2: time
1: <laughs> me too and rob thank you thank you for the privilege of talking about this it, in- it's so much fun